Welcome to Pedagogue, a podcast about teachers talking writing. I'm your host, Shane Wood. Before we get started, I wanted to spend a little time reflecting on how I feel like this podcast is reaching its aim so far in creating spaces for teachers to talk about writing across different institutional contexts and positions. Pedagogue, so far, has made an attempt to build this huge table, so to speak, for all of us to sit down and listen to each other. We've had conversations with graduate students, assistant professors, associate professors, full professors, emeriti, distinguished scholars, emerging scholars. We've talked with teachers at community colleges, private universities, four-year universities, research universities, Hispanic-serving institutions, and now regional and branch campuses. And geographically, from the West Coast to the East Coast of the United States, from the North to the South. When this thing started in May 2019, that was the goal, to promote diverse voices at various institutions and help foster community and collaboration among teachers of writing. We're still working on that. We're still trying to do that. Thank you for being a part of it. In this episode, I talk with Anna Hensley and Brian Bailey, assistant professors of English at the University of Cincinnati Blue Ash College, a two-year regional campus, where they teach first-year and intermediate composition courses. In this episode, we talk about what it's like teaching at a regional or branch campus. Anna and Brian talk about their experiences in the writing classroom and how their graduate school experience didn't quite train them for their current positions. Anna and Brian, thanks so much for joining us. Let's start by talking about UC Blue Ash College, a branch campus of the University of Cincinnati. What's it like teaching at a regional campus? I think one of the things that can be confusing for people is that because we're a branch campus, people aren't really sure like what the relationship between our campus and main campus is. And it really is, in our context, like things run separately. Um, a lot of things run separately and we have a very distinctive campus culture. There's like a kind of intimacy. Like we have, we have 5,000 students. You can walk around campus, which I, I do almost every day, and you regularly see your students that you've had in the past, that you have now. They stop and talk to you. You get a chance to know like faculty and other departments pretty well, really fast. Um, and so there's this very kind of, there's I think a strong kind of collective campus identity, um, especially around involvement in AAUP um, in the kind of mission-driven nature of the campus, um, that kind of student-oriented work that I feel like is really deep. It's not just kind of like a, you know, we care about our students. I think people really genuinely care about their students and it's a shared cross-department college-wide mission that I think drives um, what everybody does, which just gives the place a very kind of distinct energy. You know, absolutely. And one of the big things that I don't think a lot of people realize is that UC, Miami, Ohio State all have branch campuses or also referred to as regional campuses. And all this comes out of that history of Lyndon Johnson and the war on poverty. And so when that money got to Ohio, what Ohio, the state legislature said is like, instead of creating new schools, what we'll do is we'll give it to flagship schools or big state schools that are already funded public land grant schools. And we'll say like, you need to start regional campuses that have distinct degrees and offer distinct, very different things than what you're doing at your main campus. Um, and so that way they're taking education as deep as they could because 
what people don't also understand is geographically, this is Southwest Ohio. So we're basically what's called the Tri-State area. And this is essentially an extension of Appalachia. Um, so, you know, people that we knew in grad school and, and, and uh, you know, I've had other friends as well who talk about like that their family at one time lived in Ohio because they're from the South. And they even specifically lived in the, in the Cincinnati area because this is where the family moved for work. Right. When they were coming north and then they moved out from there, they went further north, they went west. It's an interesting place. And it is also interesting in the fact that because of that, like uh, Anna was was saying, there are a lot of people who are really invested in the concept of this regional campus and of it doing its work, which is to provide education and services, you know, democratize education, essentially, uh, because we are way more affordable um, than the main campus. Uh, And at the same time, everything transfers over. So it's all one you see. So that's that's the selling point more than anything is that you get an associate's it's from the University of Cincinnati, but you did your coursework at you know at, at Blue Ash College, right? And then if you want to, everything transfers over seamlessly and you can continue on to a bachelor's. What are you teaching and what types of materials or assignments are you bringing into the writing classroom? I think I think Brian and I teach the same classes, right? We teach um, our first year uh, English class, which is English 1001, and then uh, we have as a second part of our um, comp sequence um, a it's supposed to be a second semester sophomore class, mm-hmm. um, which is intermediate composition. Um, and so we both teach those two classes, uh, and we are on a four four teaching load with optional summer teaching, which I think we both do. <laughs> Which isn't optional for us. <laughs> optional and scare quotes. Yeah. <laughs> we got babies Dep- to feed. Yeah, depending, depending on how much your children like to eat or, you know, if you enjoy house repairs. Um, I feel like, uh, so what I do in both of my classes, I, I feel like my teaching style has uh, evolved a lot since I've been here where I've kind of developed this, I don't know, it's just like this kind of like very experimental style where I just kind of like throw things in, <laughs> um, kind of like half tested just to get feedback from the students because I feel like our students are very, I think, vocal and giving feedback about what they think is good and what is interesting to them and what is not interesting to them at all or what they take umbrage <laughs> with. Um, and so, and I can't necessarily predict those things either. And so, uh, you know, a lot of it has been kind of collaboratively developed with them. Like, do you like this? Does it work? And so a lot of like the, the texts that I bring into the class are really the ones that I hold on to are ones that they really respond to or that they really like um, that resonate with them in some way. Um, and the I've done that with assignments, too, where I go in with like a certain set of objectives that I want an assignment to have. But like how that actually manifests depends a lot on sort of figuring out like what really engages them. And so like in my first year writing class, um, like our first assignment, we do a unit that's all about education, but it's really sort of about engaging them to talk about what their educational experience has been like getting them to sort of theorize theorize like why do you think it was that way why do you think things worked out that way to write about that to reflect on it to sort of bring their own experience into conversation with research that they're doing and that kind of is a very different assignment than like the kind of sort of synthesis driven first unit writing assignment that I would have used at the beginning right Um, but sort of getting them to kind of think about really sort of like what they're expert in and how that sort of crafted their own goals. I have changed a lot. I mean, I've kept my content the same for the most part. Like I don't really change readings, but I constantly play with the assignments based on 
a lot with, like what Anna's talking about, which is this, how are the students reacting to it? Because I, I elicit feedback from them. I ask them how they're doing or how they're doing with it. What do they think about it? Um, and I'll make time for that in classes uh, or after classes. Um, but the big thing that I've moved and shifted to is like I've totally moved into this idea that I, I hate grading. <laughs> and so it's like a very sort of like I've gone to contract grading. And, and basically it's, it's a hybrid contract. It leans heavily on the sort of labor concept. If you do these things, here's what you're going to get. So it's more of a hybrid contract like you would see with like uh, what Peter Elbow starts, you know, uh, wrote about years ago. And so if you do this work, yes, you get a B. And then anything beyond the B for the class is based on my expertise as a compositionist. That's what I've moved to. And at the same time, I've also moved to being very transparent about this idea of writing because so many of the students come in and they're like, I really don't like writing. I didn't do well with writing. You know, that they, they've had such bad experiences with placement tests that I am really open about the idea of talking about writing as experience is sort of like living in an ecology uh, and sort of like an ecosystem. And because I've done so much editing, I talk about like even academic writers, but especially other writers in these professions where they get paid, like in the, the quote unquote open market, like they have other readers reading their writing. You know, and, and you have to be okay with that, but you also have to understand too that you just need to write, you know, and it's just a draft and you're going to get feedback and we'll talk about the ways to be constructive and, and genuine and generative and polite, but you just need to write and get away from this concept of we're going to do this perfect thing that we call this essay. Um, so I've gone to a lot of like, I've moved to um, essentially like using a blog all the time. Uh, and so they use WordPress and we blog and I have these heuristics I've got set up for the uh, for the different readings that we're doing. The heuristics are often geared towards the smaller skills that I want them to be able to use and they get to that final assignment for that particular unit. And it's the idea that we're constantly exchanging, going back and forth and talking about uh, what we're doing in writing and how we're doing it. And then really just trying to stress, it's like, and you have the right to your own language. Writing as a way to start thinking about stuff, writing as a way to reflect, looking back at that writing, reflect on that writing, and then coming to a position on an issue that concerns you. And that's really, I've really started stressing. Whereas when I first came here, it was very much like seminar papers, you know, yeah. college essay, let's do this stuff. Let's know the ins and outs of, of university discourse. You need to understand that. And now that I understand, like, really with the seven student demographic, it's like, no, what can we do? How can you use writing as critical literacy tools, as yeah. a tool set? Now, you both graduated from Syracuse University, a private research university, which I imagine is really quite different than your current institutional context. How did your graduate school experience train you for teaching at a two-year college? You want to, you've been waiting. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You have this lovely note right here. I have this lovely note. My lovely note is it, it didn't. <laughs> um, and that, that's not necessarily completely truthful. I mean, it did prepare me in the sense that um, it let me feel comfortable in the classroom. It got me teaching to the point where I could talk about those controversial topics because the topics in my courses that I use, um, I tend to let students, they can pick what they want, right? And we have, you know, we're, we're building towards skill sets. So at the end, they're writing what they want to write about. And, but in particular, with the intermediate comp class that I teach, I deal with the Plessy versus Ferguson case. And I've stuck with this the entire time I've been here. And my time at Syracuse got me ready for that, like how to how to discuss things and, and really touchy, odd subjects as we go into segregation and we talk about race and the construction of whiteness. For that, yeah, I am grateful for Syracuse. It's a composition and cultural rhetorics program. That's, you know, it's what, what I was able to get from it. But in the idea that we're going to be working in a situation that is a 4-4 teaching scenario with usually two summer classes, 
Um, the idea that we'd be dealing with a diverse, uh, diverse student population, the idea that we would have to even navigate things like uh, service work, uh, committee work, being ready for those things. While they were there, there was an option. It was always an option that you kind of had to sign up for, and it was awarded to people, essentially, if I remember correctly, right? And it didn't really get me ready for that and make me well-rounded, as well as like, you know, the, the stuff that I do even outside of the campus, outside of, you know, and trying to work with um, writing groups that are off campus, like, um, it would have been really great to know how to write a grant. You know, it would have been great to have that practice for writing grants. It would have been great for... Um, instead of elevator pitches for me getting a job, it would have been great to have elevator pitches to figure out how to get funding when you're talking to upper level administration uh, to get them to buy off, especially when you're at a, a campus where that's not considered normal, that you're not doing that kind of work, that you're not looking for that type of funding. So in a way, it didn't get me ready for uh, the majority of what I deal with every day. How about you? Yeah, I mean, I feel like I got some good uh, teaching uh, teacher mentoring um, from the program that's helpful and helped me start to develop that kind of like reflective teaching practice that I really need here. Um, but I mean, a lot of the good teaching experience that I had too, like I, I did do some stuff that allowed me to work with underprepared students, but that was like optional summer teaching that again was outside of the bounds of the regular program that I sought out because I had that inclination or like, uh, I also was a TA in the Women's and Gender Studies Department at Syracuse for two years, and that was also a really useful experience, but again, was a thing that I did <laughs> outside of what would have been the kind of core kind of training um, program. But yeah, I mean, I no, I don't feel like I was prepared for what is the bulk or all of my day-to-day -day work, especially not, I mean, the challenge of being in a classroom and when we say like a diverse classroom, it's not, you know, like it's not aesthetic, right? Like it's not just that, you know, the students don't look like each other. They're talking about having students who could succeed and be in the top of their class at any selective admissions university sitting next to students who are like struggling to be here and like complete reading assignments and that are just not well prepared and students who have very different backgrounds and very different relationships to different kinds of like academic genres and very different relationships to higher education in general, very different goals and with like some really tough demands on their lives that mm -hmm. are also really hard mm -hmm. to help them navigate as a teacher. And so that part of it is just, that is what is really, I think, challenging and that I was not prepared for at all. Mm -hmm. um, and so really sort of made me kind of revolutionize even the approach to teaching that I had um, when I when I came in, because so much of what I had learned about teaching just did not apply in this context. Like it would mm -hmm. be unethical to kind of do some of the things <laughs> that I had done in a different institution that worked perfectly well there and that made sense there but did not make sense here. And so it's kind of forced me to develop a different sort of flexibility and a different level of transparency with my students too about what I'm doing and how I'm developing things and what's being required of them. But some of those demands that we're talking about are like students who are working 40 hours, 50 hours a week outside of school, yeah. students who are already parents, uh, whether young or not, maybe they're returning students. A lot of them are also returning vets, right? They're coming back from active engagement yeah. uh, overseas. And you they know. may not be parents, but a lot of our students who are just like, they still have very real mm -hmm. family demands, <laughs> you yeah. know, like they're caring for siblings and they're caring for parents and grandparents and, yeah. um, and they're working not 
for jeans, but, you know, to help their families like pay rents. Yeah. Yeah. And, and living in a lot of like very precarious situations too. Absolutely. That disrupt regularly their ability to get through classes. What advice or what might you suggest for grad students at institutions like Syracuse do to be more prepared to teach at institutions like UC Blue Ash College? That's a good one. Uh, um, I think one of the things, one of the ways I've been resilient and been able to not lose my complete cool is like before this, like I actually, before I went back to grad school, like I'm older, like so complete disclosure, I'm like 45, right? So I went back to grad school much later in life. And so I was already, I had been a special ed teacher before this. And so it wasn't necessarily like I was unprepared for it. And I kind of knew that. And I knew that even when I was at Syracuse, it's like, well, yeah, this is great, but this isn't real, right? This is rarefied. Um, but I think that in working and being exposed to people like Steve Parks, who's doing work out in the communities, uh, especially at big uh, schools, like you need to get off campus and you need to go work out in the community. And even though I wasn't always out there with them, being just associated with them, working with them on projects, not necessarily on the ground, but, you know, dealing with it, reading through things, uh, helping them put things together on the, on the sort of the backstage side of it really helped in that sense. And understanding that there is an entire world off campus that you have to be aware of. I think also, uh, so getting off campus is good. I think working pretty extensively in the writing centers help as well, because then you're actually dealing with uh, oftentimes, and it's unfortunate, but you still have students and even professors who see the writing center as a place of remediation. And so you'll deal with the students who are at different levels of preparedness, um, who might struggle with particular academic literacies, or, um, or might just be like not really ready to student yet. That sort of idea, like our colleague here uses studenting, <laughs> okay. uh, that, you know, how to be a student. Um, and so I was also ready with that because I, even in my master's uh, program at Cal State San Bernardino, I worked in the writing center. Um, so those are the sorts of things I think that are probably close, that, that are things that are actually doable, like a small sort of tactic, you know, and maybe even uh, just knowing that it's not the reality that, you know, read, you know, I, like I never took a grad class that actually had me read Mark Bousquet's How the University Works. Like everybody talked about it, but no one actually taught it in a class. You know, it wasn't until after I got out and I just started reviewing it recently. And I'm like, this is so true. Why are people talking about this more? Like, I think, you know, even just even if you want to stick to that sort of seminar model, reading texts like that, that are much more direct and critical of the quote unquote job market and uh, of the sorts of things that we do to get grad students ready for the job market and how that system isn't broken. It's not failing. It's not some weird dip that's going to recover from. Like, no, this is a system that's designed to create this this uh, this systemic this systemic sort of set of practices that always make you feel like it's your fault, and you know, and that gets you ready for the fact, or even should get you ready for the fact that the PhD is actually, as Bousquet says, is like that actually usually signals the end of a teaching career, the end of a career in academia for a lot of people who go to grad school. The big sort of shift for me has been a shift in identity, I guess, in, in terms of like how I see myself um, and like uh, in my own goals. Um, and I think I always knew when I was in grad school that I wanted a teaching intensive job and that my primary identity really was as a teacher. And I was also very aware that that is not <laughs> not me. 
I felt strongly that that was not how I was supposed to feel (laughs) or that's how I was supposed to identify. So I feel like I think it's worth just sort of being aware of the kind of identity that you're sort of being often disciplined into, right? Like you're being shaped into a particular kind of person and thinking about like, so is this what I want? And if it isn't, and I can see the contours of that, like what else do I need to do to be kind of like positioning myself and meeting my goals? Because you do get a lot of guidance that can be really helpful if that's the path that you want to be on, right? Like our program had really intensive job market um, preparation, um, which I didn't participate in (laughs) because... (laughs) I am naturally rebellious, but also because I thought I don't want to do any of that. And indeed, a lot of the things that they wanted us to do were things I didn't have to do to get this job. Um, You know, I was being trained to build up a research profile and being kind of trained to start thinking about composition beyond first year composition. Right. And and I wasn't super interested in doing that. And that's not what my life looks like now. Now my life looks like teaching a lot of first year composition, which I actually find really enriching and really creatively stimulating. Um, And, you know, now I'm in the process of also like realigning my research identity to kind of match what my reality looks like. But, you know, like, I just think that identity portion is important because if you're thinking, you know, it's so easy as a grad student to think like, all right, so I'm trying to build up this research profile. So who are my, the people that I'm looking towards as researchers, right? And just kind of forget like, well, but then who also are like mentors in terms of teaching or professional identity who are working in the kinds of places that I think that I would like to work at? Like, how can I find out like what that day-to-day reality looks like? How do you manage your 4-4 teaching load with your service and research obligations? I mean, I think it's a really hard balance. I think the, um, I think I think I have a tendency uh, when when people say something like, "Oh, a 4-4 load," or you know, the grading must be crushing, to be like, "No, it's not that bad. You don't know my life." But it is a lot of work. <laughs> it's a, it is a lot of work. It's a, um, and it it's it is super difficult to get stuff done during the semester. It's hard when you are teaching two classes over the summer in a six week period to like make your summer to capitalize on your summer really, and yeah. like get a break so that you can keep moving forward. Um, I mean, I think for me, the service part has been like that hasn't been terribly difficult because it's kind of um, the service stuff I've been able to pick up just sort of seems like an extension of what I do in the classroom anyway. And it's all kind of, um, again, kind of organized around sort of maintaining our college. Um, And so it feels part of like that mission that I'm already kind of committed to anyway. Research has been a lot harder for me to make the switch, you know, to sort of like teaching oriented research is big because that's not what I was trained to do. Like, so it's not just about like drawing on a separate set of skills. I'm like in this process of retraining myself, it feels like, so that I can kind of make that pivot, um, which has been hard, not just because it's time intensive, but because then also I have research demands that I have to keep up with to keep my job <laughs> so I'm like trying to keep along with my workload while also making this big this big pivot and that's been really tough um again I've I'm in the same boat as Anna I've been able to pick up some service that matches a lot of what we already do and the sorts of reasons why I applied here and why I went to school or you know why I actively sought this out even though I went to a school that did not necessarily promote uh you know going to teach at a two-year college 
So I do a lot of union work because uh, I come from a union family, and we have this campus is amazingly strong in the in the, in the overall collective bargaining unit. Like our campus is like 85% membership, 85% uh, you know, of the entire campus is part of the union uh, and not free riding. Uh, whereas like at Clifton, which is the main campus, if people think it was the University of Cincinnati, has like 50 to 51% uh, active membership, paid student membership. So I, I participate in that. Um, and again, it's because I do really feel, and especially since I've been revisiting Biscay, the, a lot of what he talks about is like gospel truth, how the system's set up, um, how it's being run in particular ways, and that it's only through something like collective bargaining you're able to even have a stand uh, and, and, to, and to stop this, this constant sort of march towards um, this sort of completely neoliberal education where everything is flows and entertainment, uh, flows of capital and entertainment for uh, people who are on campus. The other thing I do is like, you know, uh, we, we both balance things like placement reading. At times we'll have close to a hundred placement exams to read through, you know, and then with my professional work and I was an editor on Reflections for a long time. So I'm really big into community literacy, community publishing. Um, and to me, that goes back out as an extension of what we do here because I'm trying to use writing as a sort of democratizing force. And so the work that I do off campus that I also turn into my professional sort of like here I'm doing this presentation on here's what we're doing together, this me and this writing group. It, it, it's an extension of that because I even bring some of those concepts back into the classes I teach. And, and Brian, thank you again for joining us. And thank you, Pedagog listeners and followers. Until next time.